these servants give you humble thanks for all of your goodness, your loving kindness to us, and to all you have made. Lord, we bless you for our creation. You've preserved us. All the blessings of this life, O oh Lord. But of all, above all of that, for your immeasurable love and the redemption of the world through the Lord Jesus Christ. For your grace and for the hope of glory. Lord, so today I pray that you would give us such an awareness of these mercies. And that with a truly thankful heart that we would show forth your praise. Not just with our lips, but with our lives. Giving ourselves to your service and walking before you in holiness and righteousness all the days of our lives. We pray this through Christ Jesus our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory through all ages. Amen. Well, if you've been watching the news this weekend, suffice to say, the world is shaking apart, isn't it? We have open war in Israel right now. As of the last time that I checked, 600 people were dead. Thousands are wounded. It's an all-out war. The world is watching. Back home here in the United States, we have unprecedented political polarization, don't we? I don't even watch debates, presidential or otherwise, anymore because all they really are is just who can get the best soundbite by sniping at one another. There is no more statesmanship. How about religiously? The world is shaking and a religious, even in the Christian church. Let's just not talk about religion. Let's talk about the Christian church. We have an unprecedented apostasy. Churches are rejecting good, sound doctrine. We have gender confusion in our churches like we've never seen before. Church attendance right now across the United States as an average is as low or slightly lower than it was during COVID. The world is shaking. But, but let me ask you, what's shaking in your life? Maybe you find yourself in an unexpected, unanticipated situation in your life. Maybe you're going through it. Maybe events have kind of flipped on a dime for you. It could be health or finances. It could be family disruptions. It could be perhaps you had a dream or a goal and it looked like you were ready to grab it and then something happened and it's now unattainable for you. It flipped. What is threatening the very fabric of what you knew as your life. I think we can say that we go through these times if we're not in them right now. Well, today's passage of scripture speaks directly to this concept of shaking. The shaking of life. The shaking of world powers. The shaking of faith. Yes, even the shaking of our personal events and situations. And the type of shaking that we're talking about is a motif that's used all the way through Scripture. A shaking that's designed by God himself. He's done it before. He's doing it now. And he promises to do it in the future. 
But the good news that this passage will draw out for us today is that he, God himself, desires that we, Christian people, have comfort in the midst of the shaking of life and even to be spared from the ultimate shaking that is to come. This passage will help us to understand that in order to have comfort in the shaking of life, God calls us to two things, to listen and to live. To listen to the voice from heaven and to live in the unshakable kingdom of God. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 um, my text, the main text of my sermon today, and of course we don't have them on the screen today, my, my outline, but we do have them uh, on the stands here by the doors. If you didn't pick one up and you'd like one, it's fine. Get up and grab one. It's okay. Um, Pastor Jason read for us 18 through 24, but my text will really be 25 through 29. We're going to need 20, 18 through 24 for context. And if you remember, uh, over the summer, I preached a brief sermon over, or sermon series over Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 1 through 3 was about running the race of faith and running it well. Verse, uh, verses 4 through 11 is about God bringing suffering and trials in our life to build up endurance so that we can continue to run. Verses 12 through 17 is about us using our endurance, using God's training program to run the race well. If you've missed that, that series, I encourage you, go online. You'll be able to filter by my name or by Hebrews chapter 12. And you'll be able to see that series there. And I did a sermon on uh, 18, verses 18 through 24 like years ago. But again, we're just going to use it for context today. So let's look at verses 25 through 26. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then. But now he has promised saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also of the heavens. This passage begins with an interesting phrase. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. That phrase, see to it, could also be said, be careful. Listen, listen to the voice from heaven. But we have voices speaking and we have ground shaking. What is he talking about? This is where we're going to need to look back to verse 18 for a bit of context. So let's go back to verse 18. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched... And to a blazing fire, and to darkness, and gloom, and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet, and to the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command. <clears throat> Even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. <clears throat> This mountain, perhaps if you have the English Standard Version, you don't see the word mountain in there. It might just say what can be touched. I think it's pretty faithful to the original. The New American Standard supplies the context of the mountain because that's what we're talking about. What mountain is he referring to here, if you know? Mount Sinai. 
That's when Israel was let out of Egypt. God rescued them from their slavery, brought them into the wilderness, brought them to the foot of Mount Sinai so God can come in and introduce himself and make them his people. So for that, let's look back at Exodus 19. I want us to get that flavor. You see, Hebrews is a sermon. And like a good expositor of the word, he's drawing upon scripture to make his point. So let's look at the scriptures that the, the preacher of Hebrews has been talking about. So if you would look to Exodus chapter 19. Now we're going to just go through a couple of verses, so follow me if you can. Exodus 19, let's look at verses 1 and 2. In the third month, after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. And when they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. And there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Now go to verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak to you and may also believe in you forever. Then Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around saying, beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Now verse 18. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And his smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. Now turn over to chapter 20, verse 18. 20 verse 18 all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking and when the people saw it they trembled and stood at a distance then they said to Moses speak to us and we will listen but let not God speak to us or we will die now let's go back to Hebrews this is the situation that the author of Hebrews is drawing upon to make his point. He said, you did not come to this mountain. And man, what a mountain that was. Mount Sinai refers to the old covenant. Whenever you see the phrase old covenant, especially when compared to the new covenant, it's always being referred to the Mosaic covenant given at Sinai. And look what they saw. Blazing fire. What does blazing fire do? burns it consumes they saw blazing fire darkness and gloom interesting that word gloom in the original refers to a type of darkness that you would only see in the underworld like a hellish darkness it's a darkness that makes you terrified i remember one time being in a sewer system when i when i was in the military we were doing uh it's called mount operations we were attacking a, a mock city and we were going to enter in through the sewer system. And I've never seen dark quite like that before. 
You can't even see your hand literally in front of your face. You really can't. And night vision goggles won't work because they need some kind of light source to draw upon to give you a little bit of light. It was very disorienting. (laughs) It's very unnerving when you can't see something this close to your face. And here's Israel camped at the mountain ready to see their God. And they see blazing fire. They see darkness and a gloom that gave them a sense of disorientation and fear. They heard trumpet blasts, just so that we don't think that they're looking at just an active volcano. Last I checked, trumpets don't blow from volcanoes. The trumpets were blasting louder and louder and louder. In the Old Testament, trumpets would blast for three reasons. Worship, war, or judgment. And given what they saw, I bet they were confused as to which one they were looking at and which one they were hearing. And it was terrifying. It was so terrifying that when God spoke and there was thunder and trumpets, they put their hands over their ears and said, don't talk to us, God. This is the old covenant. These were the people that saw the plagues of Egypt, folks. I mean, take the most terrifying one. The firstborn dying. Granted, if they put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and the lintel of their house, they still heard the screams of people who saw that their firstborn had died in Egypt. Can you imagine how terrifying that would be? And they're putting their faith, okay, God told us to do this, so we're going to be okay. But just hearing it household to household to household as that death angel passed from neighborhood to neighborhood. And that was nothing compared to what they were looking at right here. In fact, it says um, in verse 19, the sound of the words. That's an interesting turn of phrase. They just heard the words. They heard the sound of the words. They heard words, but they couldn't even comprehend what these words were saying. Ladies and gentlemen, this is indicative of our state before God if we don't have a mediator. We stand before an all-holy God. We see him for who he is. And all God did was come and touch the peak of a mountain to say, I'm God, you're going to be my people. Terrifying. Fear. God is holy. We are not. And that's our gospel moment, isn't it? That's when we come to truly love and appreciate what Jesus Christ has done for us. Because that's what the gospel is all about. When we go to preach the gospel, we've got to tell them what the bad news is so they understand what the good news is. And the bad news is that we stand condemned before this all-holy God. And just when all hope is lost, he provides a Savior, Jesus Christ. So I say praise God because he starts out with verse 18, for you have not come to this mountain. Oh, thank goodness. Let's look at verse 22. But here's where you have come. Mount Zion. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly, and to the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. 
See, here the writer, the preacher, if you will, is contrasting Israel's experience with God under the old covenant with the Christian experience with God under the new covenant. You did not come in verse 18. Here's where you came. Where did we come? He uses three phrases. Zion, city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. All three of these phrases are often used synonymously in scripture. And there's rich biblical and eschatological tradition behind them. They often serve as a motif all the way through scripture for God's kingdom and God's reign over all. Look back for a second to chapter 11, Hebrews 11. Remember we, we preached about this in, in Hebrews 12, 1. It says we have a great cloud of witnesses that are kind of cheering us on by their lifestyle as we run this race of faith. Chapter 11 is about these witnesses, these people that have lived their lives before God. It talks about Abel and Abraham and Enoch and Noah and all these others. Look at verse 11 and verse 10. Chapter 11, verse 10. He's talking about Abraham now. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Now go to verse 13. All these, all these heroes of the faith, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles over the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they're seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Do you see the motif, the language being used? Folks like Abraham and Enoch and Abel and all these heroes of the faith were looking for the city where we live right now. They wanted it. They saw it from afar and had their faith in God. This is where we have come. We're citizens of the city of God. God's kingdom by God's calling and his promise to us in Christ Jesus. This is where we live as believers. We've come to that. We've come to the myriads of angels. The word myriads is really just an innumerable company and really, if you look at that original, there is this sense that these angels that we're coming to are joyful. It's hard to really kind of translate that a bit into the English, but it's like a festive or joyful coming to these angels. Look at the contrast between Sinai and this new covenant, this Mount Zion. We have fear and trembling. Here we have joy and dancing. Festivity. This is where we've come to. He says the general assembly and firstborn enrolled in heaven. Firstborn was used of Israel in Exodus 4. Enrolled in heaven was used in Exodus chapter 32. It refers to all believers presently in this world believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We call that the church universal. The Catholic church, small c, not Roman Catholic. The church universal, all those who have faith in Jesus Christ. These are all the people we've come to. God as judge, he says. But notice there's no fear. We've come to God as the judge, but we don't have to fear the judge. See, Israel at Mount Sinai saw God as a judge and they were afraid. But now we have God here as a judge 
And yet there's no fear because of the work of Jesus Christ, which we're going to see in just a moment. He says, we've come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Those are the believers that have died and gone on to heaven and now lack nothing. They're perfect before God and holy in every way. We've come to all of this. It's amazing. But then he gets better. He says, we've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Look at uh, back to verse nine, chapter 9, excuse me, chapter 9, Hebrews 9 and verse 11. Hebrews 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of his creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more with the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. One more. I'm sorry. Chapter 8, verse 6. I'm not sorry. This is great. <laughs> Chapter 8, verse 6. But now he, being Jesus, has attained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. This is where we've come to. We've come to Jesus. He is this mediator of not just a new covenant, but a better covenant. What makes it better? You've got to understand covenants. Covenants have obligations I do this, you do this. This is the blessing, this is the curse. Sinai, there's a lot of cursing there. We had law, we had to fulfill the law. You have to do it perfectly. We can bring some animals to try to temporarily keep fellowship with God because we we can't keep the law perfectly. But yet in the new covenant now, we have Jesus who fulfilled every obligation of the law on our behalf. That's why it's better. He did it all. He was perfect. He was born without sin. He lived his life without sin. He was the offerer and the offering himself. That's why it's better and better promises. Because now I don't have to trust in my works anymore. I trust in what Christ has done for me. When I struggle in my faith, I think about Christ on the cross and what he's done for me. That's why it's better. That's why it's new. And that's why it's better. That's why when we come to the throne of God, we don't fear. We don't put our hands over our ears and say, I can't bear the sound, God. Don't talk to me anymore. We lean in. We listen. We long for his words. He says, Abel, isn't that weird? He says, you've come, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. It's kind of an odd thing to throw in there. Well, we know Abel for two things. He made a sacrifice that was accepted by God, was the spilling of the flocks, the firstborn of his flocks. And that really speaks to Jesus and the sacrifice that he would make. But what else do we know about Abel? He was killed by his brother. Abel stands almost as like a typology of Jesus Christ himself, the offerer and the offering. He himself was killed by his brothers as Jesus was killed by his fellow Jews. And it's better. Jesus is better. In fact, if you really want 
the Reader's Digest version of what the book of Hebrews is all about, it's this. Christ is better. He's better than the angels. He's better than the sacrifices. He's better than the Old Testament priests. He's better. He's just better all the way around. You read it, that's what you're going to get from it. Oh, turn to God's mountain of grace. Turn to it. If you're here and you don't have faith in Christ, maybe you're here just visiting because someone invited you in. Let me encourage you. Turn your eyes to Jesus Christ. Call upon him. Ask him for forgiveness. Trust in what he has done because if we're apart from Christ, what we'll see is a God like they saw on Mount Sinai. And in fact, it gets even more terrifying than that. Could you imagine all God did was set foot on the peak of the mountain to say, I'm your God. You're going to be my people. Here's how you order your society. God is coming again. And this time he's going to set foot on the earth to bring judgment. It's not just a mountain that's going to shake. The whole earth will shake, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But let me encourage you, put your faith in Christ. Quit trying to make yourself acceptable to society and acceptable to whatever you think you believe is out there. Trust in God. Put your faith in him. Turn to God's mountain of grace. But with all that in mind, we still have chapter 25, or verse 25 to look at, right? He says, see to it that you refuse not him who is speaking. What's the book of Hebrews written to? The church. We have to take God's warning seriously. And God says, in light of all of this, in light of the fact that you didn't come to Sinai, that you came to Zion instead, be careful that you don't ignore the voice of God. It's a sharp change of tone. Do you sense the urgency in verse 25? See to it that you do not refuse him for who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turned away from him who warns from heaven. There's a sharp change in the tone, a sense of urgency, and he's tying this warning in with Israel's refusal to hear God from the mountains. Now, when God, Israel put their hands over their ears and said, don't talk to me, God, were they still God's people? Yes. But they kept refusing to hear God and eventually died in the wilderness. This sharp change in tone indicates that we, in the new and better covenant, have a greater responsibility to listen to God. Refusing to listen to God shows contempt for the revelation of his son and the blessings that come from a new and better covenant. We come to Zion, the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and yet we put our hands over our ears what are we saying about Christ? What are we saying about the blessings of the covenant, which means that Christ paid it all for us? We're treating it as meaningless. Don't refuse to listen, which begs two questions, really. How does God speak? Well, Christ, through Jesus Christ. 
In chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says that God spoke in the past in many different ways through the prophets and other ways. But yet now in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. How else? Through the word of God. He is speaking to us. Man, I, so many people will say, I just really want to know what God wants for me. Have you read this? We have a book. Tom Askell likes to say that from Founders Ministries. Christians, we have a book. Everything God needs to tell you is in this book. He'll guide you and direct your steps. You make your heart in tune with the word of God and the heartbeat of God. Your desires begin to change. Your mindset begins to change. And then he guides and governs your step. And he gives you desires of your heart because your desires are his desires. Isn't that great how that works? God's will is not an Easter egg hunt. Man, if I could just find God's will. It's around here somewhere. It's right here. You know, we want the, the answers to the bigger, what we would consider the bigger questions. Who am I going to marry? What job am I going to get? What college am I going to go to? Where, how am I going to retire? When am I going to retire? We want the answers to that, but we fail to look at what God has already revealed. Walk in holiness and righteousness. This really is the second question that's begging from this. Not only this, how does he speak that we may listen, but what is he saying? It's what he's been saying all the way through chapter 12 already. Run this race with endurance. Get up and run. Live the Christian life in a way that honors God. Endure the trials and suffering that God is bringing to our lives because that suffering, those trials, are working up our endurance so we can keep running. Live holy and righteous lives before him. Keep focused on the mountain to which we've come. Man, what a life-changing perspective. In the midst of our trials and difficulties, we stop for a moment and think, all right, let me go back to the basics. Where did I go? I went to the mountain of Zion. I went to the city of the living God. I went to the heavenly Jerusalem. I've come to the myriads of angels. They're all around me. I've come to the, be enrolled like the church universal across the world. I, my name is enrolled in heaven. Kind of changes our perspective a little bit when we start contemplating these things. Listen to what God is saying. He puts warning passages in here for a reason. Listen, take them seriously. But he also wants us to take his promise of judgment seriously as well. Look at verses 26 and 27. And his voice shook the earth then, meaning Sinai. But now he has promised, saying, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things. So that those things which cannot be shaken Remain. Now, you don't have to turn there, but he's quoting Haggai chapter 2. And no, it's not Haggai, it's Haggai chapter 2 and verse 6. I grew up thinking it was Haggai. 
For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, in a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea, and also the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all nations, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts. This is what Hebrews is drawing into to remind us that there's yet another shaking that God is doing. And so he's connecting that shaking that happened with Zion or Sinai, where the mountain shook at the very voice and touch of God, to a new shaking that's coming. And again, the shaking motif in Scripture is often used with a phrase called the day of the Lord. It's when God brings great judgment, great upheaval over the earth. And Haggai, Babylon just fell. The exiles are back in Jerusalem. That was a great shaking that was prophesied. But yet he's talking about a new kind of shaking. And he puts this shaking in the future, which really intensifies what this shaking is all about. Because you see, at Sinai, when it shook, Sinai wasn't removed. It was still there. Israel wasn't removed. It was still there. But yet here in verse 27, he says, yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken. There is a shaking coming where God is not just shaking things up, but he's shaking things out. Like I said, Sinai was still there after the shaking. Israel was still there after the shaking. There's a shaking coming where God is shaking out some things. And that's at the very end. What's he shaking out? He says right here in the passage, earthly things. And not that the earth is bad, but the sinful things that are of this worth in this world. God is coming to bring an end to all of this. And he's going to shake out what does not belong so that what remains is of God. Zion is of heaven. Sinai is of the earth. These things will be shaken. I said this before, but can you imagine what this will be like? God touches a mountain to introduce himself to people. And you have blazing fire, darkness and gloom, trumpets sounding, whirlwind, shaking going on. Now God's going to come back to judge the earth. And the shaking will remove what does not belong. This is why we have to take the promised judgment seriously. Take inventory of what's in your life. What are you holding on to in life? Will those things be removed in the great shaking? And we spend so much time, so much energy holding on to things that are just going to be shaken out anyway. What's your life grounded in? Will you be removed? Have you come to Zion? God brings shaking in our lives now and we don't like it. But the shaking helps us to grow in our faith. It helps us to endure. We see what God's will is. Have you gone through some shaking where God removed some things out of your life? He upended things. He shook your life up. Something was removed. And what's our first reaction? I'm hanging on to it, God. You're not going to take this away from me. And yet, as always, God wins out. Because he's trying to show you what can be shaken and what cannot be shaken. He wants you to live in what can't be shaken. Let God do his work in your life. 
What's he shaking up right now? He wants you to grow in his will and in conformity to him. He wants you to hold on to that which is eternal, not to that which is temporal. Things come and go. God's word remains. Don't hold on to what God wants to shake away. But you know, those little shakings that come up in our life, that is really there to remind us of the great shaking that's yet to come. It's a reminder. If God is doing this to me now, imagine what it'll be like in the end. And I don't have to worry about that shaking. Focus on the right mountain. Focus on God and his word. Prioritize your growth in Jesus Christ. That's what God wants. He wants you to listen to his voice. He wants you to take his warning seriously. He wants you to take the call of judgment seriously as well. But there's one other thing. So it's not just listen to the voice. He wants you to live in this unshakable kingdom that he gives us. Look at verse 20, uh, 28. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken... Let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Did you hear the tone change? Before there was a sense of urgency. Don't ignore the warnings. Don't ignore the promised judgment. Uh, but therefore, since we receive an unshakable kingdom, we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let that sink in. It won't shake. If you're in it, if you're pursuing the kingdom of God and its righteousness, you will not be shaken. You don't have to shake. And this passage of scripture, this, this little phrase here, um, since we receive, really can also, he says, since we are receiving so we're receiving it. It's like a now and not yet. We have a portion of this kingdom because Christ came and inaugurated the kingdom of God. But yet Christ is coming back to bring the fullness of his kingdom. That's what you're receiving. And you've got a foretaste of it right now. And it cannot be shaken. But there's a way to live in it, though. In such a way to have joy when you see the rest of the world around you shaking. Do you ever see people... They're pretty annoying. Christians that, not just people in general. Depends if you're an introvert or an extrovert, I guess. <laughs> Christian people can annoy you because, man, things are just shaking up all over the place. And it just seems like they're blissfully ignorant. They're just going through their life and it doesn't seem to bother them. That's the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to live like, yeah, I see everything shaking around me, but my confidence is firm because I'm on firm ground. I'm in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's a kingdom that Christ inaugurated, and he put me inside of that. He rules and he reigns from on high. That's the point of Zion, the heavenly city, heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. We're in it. So how do we live? Thankfulness. He says, show gratitude. I love when he says, show Gratitude, Because it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, I'm thankful. Mm -hmm, thank you, God. I'm thankful. It's another thing to actually demonstrate it. Speak it out loud to other people. Live like you're grateful. We have to demonstrate it. I know that's hard when things go wrong. Well, God wants to shake out something in our life, perhaps. But gratitude realigns our sights, our mentality, onto the unshakable kingdom of Mount Zion. 
we start expressing gratitude for things, instead of shaking our fist at God for what he's taken away, we're reminded, oh, this is for my good. I don't have to worry about this. Oh, and it reminds me there's a great shaking to come that I'm not going to be a part of. And so we can kind of blissfully go through life and other people can get annoyed with you. Thankfulness, despite the world we live in, despite the personal shaking of God, it reminds me that him, whatever my lot, God has taught me to say what? It is well with my soul. Man, if that's a gratitude, I don't know what is. But let me encourage you, practice it. Practice gratitude. Don't practice gratitude when it's easy. When you wake up feeling thankful, that's good. Express it, show it. Practice it when you're not feeling very thankful. When you're feeling grumpy and grouchy, and you're not really super happy with where you're at in life. I've had to do this recently. When you're not really happy about things that are going on, practice it. I thank you, God, for my creation. I prayed it today. My preservation. Above all, for your measurable love and the redemption of the world through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Thankful for the gospel. Thankful for Christ. Start with the basics. Thank you for bringing me to Zion. Start speaking that out loud. Not that we're being charismatic up in here or anything like that, but there is something to be said about a mentality change when you speak the words of God out of your mouth from Scripture. Read the Psalms. Starts out real rough, but at the end, I give you thanks, O Lord. My hope is in you. That be the pattern of our life. Be reverent, he says. Offer God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. That really can come back to worship. That's the idea here. Not just a worship service, but a worship of our lives. Our life is an act of constant worship before God. Think about that. Not just when we're here. Not just when we're feeling like it. Our lives express worship to God. What kind of worship are we offering God? I mean, what better way to demonstrate gratefulness than to worship the Lord? And he says, reverence and awe. Sinai brought awe, but it was a fearful awe, wasn't it? Oh. Mount Zion brings awe at what Christ has done and the immeasurable love that he pours out to us through his son. He's holy. We should be reverent. Think about God and all of his attributes and who he is. Oh, man, there's a time for the happy clappy, isn't there? But the Psalms also tell us that there are times when the whole earth must stand in silence before him. Awe at what he's accomplished at the cross. What is man that you are mindful of him? Have you ever thought that? Who am I that you thought about me before the foundation of the earth? That when Christ was bleeding on the hard wood of the cross, he thought about me. And he felt the weight of my sin upon him. You start thinking like that, you get filled with a very joyful but reverential awe at God. And that changes our mindset, doesn't it? Be grateful. Be reverent and full of awe. Be safe in God. Look at verse 29. Our God is a consuming fire. Yes, there's a warning with that. We saw consuming fire on Mount Sinai, but I think there's an encouragement here as well. 
I mean, the warning is that God is not to be one to be trifled with. You don't play around with God this way. That's Sinai. But we who live in the unshakable kingdom have no cause to be terrified any longer. That's old covenant. If we stand before God and we're terrified, we're living in an old covenant mindset. Live in a new covenant mindset and you have joy. And you're safe when the consuming fire of God comes. Proverbs 18.10 says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. That's unshakable kingdom language right there. Find your hope. Find your rest. Find your joy. Find your safety in none other than God himself. Are you shaking? Is your life in an upheaval right now? It's okay to admit that. Is God shaking out some things in your life? It hasn't been fun. Our help is in God who drew us to Zion. If you're here with faith in Christ, you didn't come to Sinai. You came to Zion. Zion can't be shaken. Listen to the voice of God. Do what he commands you. Live in holiness and and righteousness. Live in an unshakable kingdom that is yours because of this great mediator, Jesus Christ. Be grateful. Live in reverence and find your hope in him. Put your trust in God and you will not be moved. Let's pray. Merciful Father, we give you thanks. We give you praise. We give you glory. It's all yours. None of it's ours. Because of what you have done for us, Lord. You brought us to a mountain of joy and grace because of what Christ has done. And Lord, I know that you bring shaking into our lives. And I know that in this room, you've brought shaking to individual lives. Help them to realize through the eternal word that we've heard this morning that they can live in an unshakable way because they live in an unshakable kingdom. To let you have your work in their lives, grow them in Christ, shake out the things that you don't want in their lives, help them to find joy in it because that's where you brought us to. I pray for the one maybe here that has not put their faith in Christ. Oh Lord, I pray today would be the day that they would call upon you and be saved that they would not experience a God like you appeared on Sinai, and even worse when the end comes. But they would come to Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and experience an unshakable kingdom. Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.